Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me if you haven't already done so to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be in this passage today, and I want to set the stage uh, first before we jump into this passage of why we want to walk into it, why we want to talk about this today. So let me just set the stage, the context of, of what this book is really all about. The Apostle John wrote this letter. He wrote it from Ephesus in about 90 AD. Now understand that's about, you know, 50 plus years from the time that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again three days later, and then eventually uh, days later as he ascended into heaven. So now the church is thriving. The church has been growing. People have been getting saved by the thousands. Lives have been changed. You read through the book of Acts and you can see how that message, that gospel message spread throughout the land, spread throughout the countries in a rapid fashion, a rapid form. And the reason is because of the powerful message of the gospel. But now John began to see something that was taking place in the church. What he was watching, what he was seeing is that the church was under attack. The church was under attack, but it wasn't under attack from those without, was outside. It was under attack from those within the church, people who had actually been a part of those churches. And the attack that was coming was an attack against the nature of, the power of, the, the awesome statement of the gospel. You see, people within the church began to question whether Jesus really was the Son of God. They began to question whether He really was the one who came to this earth in bodily form, took on flesh, and, and lived among us and died for our sins. They began to come up with, with new ideas. They were nuanced statements of who Jesus is and what Jesus had done and began to chip away at the gospel began to chip away at the message of the exclusivity of the gospel. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said, those within the church began to question those statements. And John knew and understood that if the church of Jesus Christ didn't stand up and to stand firm on the truth and the doctrine that was found within the gospel, within the Word of God, that the church itself would begin to die. And so he write, writes this letter, and he writes this letter not to an unbelieving group. He didn't write this to those in, within the world who didn't know Jesus. He wrote this letter to those within, inside, inside the church, those within the church. He wanted to make sure they understood what it was that they were going to face. Now, listen. The reason that's important to set the stage in the context of, of what this letter is all about is because here we are in 2020, 2,000 years later after this passage was written that we're going to read today, and the church is still under attack. And listen, it is still under attack from within. It is still under attack from the people within the church. Sometimes it's in the form of pastors who preach a false gospel. Sometimes it's in the form of, of leaders, Christian leaders within the church that, that because of moral failures, because of, of a lack of understanding of what sin is and what sin does, that they continue to live in a life that, that lines up with the world rather than lines up with God's Word. Sometimes it comes as an attack when people get up and they begin to preach something that, that deviates from God's Word. And sometimes it comes from the people who are sitting in the seats of the churches, who hear the gospel, who might even respond to the gospel, but continue to live as if the gospel didn't really matter. So listen, the church is still under attack. And so the, the lessons that John gives in 1 John are lessons that we need today. 
The same kind of truth that we need to understand, that we need to stand on, that we need to be encouraged by, are the same things that we read in this passage today. So understanding the context of why John wrote this, I wanted to set that up. Now I want you to go to 1 John chapter 1, because now we're going to see, okay, knowing that, understanding that, what did John have to say about it? 1 John chapter 1, it says these words, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, understanding as we read this passage today, uh, why John wrote it, he's writing it because his heart is broken. Because he was one of those 12 who walked with Jesus, who, who heard what Jesus had to say. He was in that group of 12 that had the opportunity of seeing Jesus perform miracle after miracle. He had seen life change. He had seen people raised from the dead. He had seen the healings that had taken place. He had heard all of the statements that Jesus made during his time on this earth. And now here he is 50 plus years later, and he's seen the people who had given their lives to Christ, the people who had believed in the message that Jesus came to preach, believed in the fact that he died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again three days later. And now he's seen those people being manipulated. He sees those people changing what they believe in. He sees those people walking away. And so he writes these words. And he writes these words with, with a passion he writes them with a, with a clear message of understanding. Guys, you've got to get what Jesus came to give. And so as he's writing to the church, he begins this narrative that he writes throughout this entire letter, this entire epistle that he writes of 1 John, writing to the church to encourage them, number one, to stand on doctrine, to make sure they're standing on truth, but number two, to make sure that they are focused on living right, living for him. And so he starts it, as we just read a moment ago, giving some clear narratives, some clear statements. The first one is just simply this, is that Jesus is always the only way. That Jesus is always the only way. He's underscoring what he said back in John chapter 14, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Look in the first part of this verse, in the chapter in verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. At a time when people were looking for everything that could bring them joy, looking in every direction, they're looking at every situation, every opportunity, they're looking at money, they're looking at power, looking at fame, looking at status, looking at all of the things the world had to give, looking for joy and peace and contentment and acceptance and worth and value. John wanted to underscore, we proclaim to you the only one that has been here from the very beginning. The only one who can make a difference. The only one that can change your life. Jesus has always been the only way. Now listen, I want to tell you today 
that I know there are people seated in this room today, there are people watching by television, listening by radio all around the globe with us here in Lynchburg today. And here's the one thing that I want to declare to you today. We still proclaim that Jesus is the only way. He is the only hope that we have. He's the only one that we can depend on, the only one that we can count on, the only one that we can live by, the only one that we can find hope and encouragement and peace and deliverance. Jesus is the only way. And until we understand that, until we grab a hold of that and make that the the cornerstone of our lives, the cornerstone of everything that we do, the thing that we stand on, then what's going to happen is the church will continue to be attacked. Okay, let me make it more personal. You will continue to be attacked because every single one of us are under attack. The Bible tells us that Satan comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. You know that. The Bible says that Satan is like a lion and he's kind of prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever watched National Geographic? Have you ever watched like when the gazelles are out there just flitting around and, you know, they're bouncing around, they're looking all cool, looking pretty, they're thinking they're pretty and, you know, they can jump high and there's an awesome thing, you know. And then in the weeds, in the woods over here, you know, you see this high grass and all of a sudden you see something move, right? And National Geographic's got their cameras like zoomed in and all of a sudden you see these two little eyes that are looking out from the, the weeds. And those eyes kind of move a little bit. And then the camera catches another one over here. Oh, and then another one over here. And then one over here. And then one over here. And see, what's happening is this, is the gazelles are just loving life. They're just having a good time. They're just finding joy and peace and contentment in whatever happens to be right in front of them, not knowing that all around them the lions are about to pounce. And if you've ever watched what happens when a lion pounces on a gazelle, It's not a pretty picture. It ends up being a little bit gory and a little bit bloody and a little bit destructive, right? That's the reason that God's Word uses that same statement to describe what Satan's out to do. Because you see, all of us are kind of walking through life and we're good. Things are good, man. We're walking through life, having a good time. We're, you know, we're working, we're going to school, we're, we're playing golf, we're, we're doing all the things that we love to do, and life is good, and life is happy, and, you know, yeah, occasionally a little hiccup, a little, you know, roadblock that we run into, but, man, things are good. And we forget that there's a lion who is right over there, and he's in the weeds of our lives, and he is seeking whom he may devour. Understand, the whom is you. And so we've got to understand that while that is taking place, Jesus has come to deliver us. Jesus is always the only way. And so when we understand that, John's making it very clear. I am here to proclaim to you that He is the one that has been there from day one. In other words, nothing has ever stopped him. Nothing has ever taken him down. Nothing has ever destroyed him. He is yesterday, today, and forever. And so we understand Jesus is the only way. John goes on in the first verse, and he continues to give this narrative, this understanding, so the church will be ready for the attacks that are happening within. And so first he tells us, yeah, Jesus has always been the only way. But then he also begins to tell us that Jesus became one of us to save us. Jesus became just like us. He became one of us in order to save us. If you go back into this passage in verse 1, in the second part of that verse, after he said, we proclaim to you the one who has existed from the beginning, he goes on to say, whom we have heard. 
and we have seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. You see, some people back in those days were teaching the idea that Jesus really wasn't the Son of God, that he really wasn't the one who came down from earth. And, and, and as John wrote about in his gospel in John chapter 1, not First John, but in John chapter 1, the fourth gospel, where he said, and the word became what? The word became flesh. You see, there were false teachers within the church who were saying, you know what, that, that's really not accurate. You know, Jesus really wasn't the Son of God. And they were kind of sometimes given the idea, well, maybe there was like this spirit that kind of, you know, came in and, and overcame this man named Jesus. And the world today will tell you Jesus was a good man. The world today will tell you that Jesus was a great prophet, a great teacher, a great leader. Every religion would tell you, oh yeah, Jesus is someone we can learn from. We can learn how to live. We can learn how to act. We can learn how to love others. We can learn how to be kind. We can learn how to, you know, include social justice in our journey. You can learn all those things from Jesus. He's a great man, a great leader, a great teacher. But the one thing that they will always, always deny is that Jesus is God. You see, what John saw in the church of that day and what I see, what you see in the church of today is an attack on the incarnation of Christ. That Jesus was fully God and fully man. Now, let me tell you why that's so very important. It's important because if Jesus was not fully God and fully man, he could never have accomplished what he came to accomplish. If he wasn't God, he could not have taken our sins on his back on the cross. If he was not man, he could not have actually come to replace us in the punishment that we all deserved. And so, the attack is on the incarnation, the deity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus wasn't really God, or that Jesus wasn't really man. Now, God's Word is clear. Over and over again, we can take you to passages of Scripture that talk about how the Word became flesh, how Jesus came down, how He was the one sent by God as His only Son. Go back to the book of Genesis, and we see when you know, God is creating all that there is, let us make God in our own image. Over and over again, Jesus has always been, and Jesus is, and Jesus will always be. Why? Because He is God, and He as God took on flesh to become one of us, to save us. And so John saw the attack that was taking place, that Jesus wasn't really what Jesus said he was. Now listen, understand, in 2020, that attack, those statements, that attack on the deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, has never been more prevalent than it is today. It has never been more significant than it is now, because we live in a world today where you can believe in anything that you want to believe in, you can follow whatever religion you want to follow, you can stand up and walk in the streets and you can bow down to a tree, you can bow down to a building, you can bow down to a car, uh, you can do all of the things, they don't care. Worship whatever you want to worship and they will give you the right to do it, they'll give you the freedom to do it, they don't care. Go, live your life, have fun, worship as you please. But the moment that you stand up and say that Jesus is the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, that He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again three days later, then the world becomes on the attack, because they will not have us stand up and say, Jesus is Lord. And I'm telling you today, the attack is on more today than it's ever been before, which is why the church today has to be stronger than it's ever been before. 
that we have to stand on doctrine more than we've ever stood before, that we have to be specific and deliberate and recognize that we have to declare Jesus as the only way. Amen. Remember what happened in John chapter 20, uh, John chapter 20 when, um, when Jesus was appearing to the disciples after he rose from the grave? And remember when Thomas said, listen, unless I see it with my own eyes, I won't believe. Remember that? He said, unless I touch him with my own hands, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus showed up. And remember Jesus, when Jesus showed up and Thomas saw it? Do you remember what Thomas declared, the statement that he made? He said, my Lord and my God. That's the same declaration that we need to make every single day. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a great example. He's not a great historical figure. He's not a prophet. He's not a leader. He's not an example. He's not someone that we can learn from. He's not someone that can guide us. He is our Lord and our God, period. And so we need to stand on that truth because the world wants to change that narrative. And so John writes this passage to us to tell us that Jesus became like us in order to save us. He came down, if we continue reading this passage, Jesus came to give us life. That's the reason he became like us. What's he trying to save us from? I've heard that before. Like, what do you mean get saved? Saved from what? Here's saved from what? Saved from a real place called hell. And listen, in case you don't know, a lot of preachers don't preach on hell anymore. Let me just tell you what hell is. Hell is hell. <laughs> It's, it's bad. It's, it's eternal damnation. It's eternal flames. It is eternal suffering. It is eternal pain. It is horrible. It is awful. It is separation from God for eternity. And if we die without Christ, that is what is in store. So why did Jesus come down to become one of us, to save us? He became like us to save us, to save us from hell. To give us the promise and the hope of a real place called heaven. Jesus came to give us life. Look what it says in this passage in verse 2. It says, and now we testify and we proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He's not the one who understands eternal life. He's not the one that can tell you about eternal life. He's not the one that can point you to eternal life. He is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. Another one of John's writings in John, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he said, uh, quoting Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It says that He was in the beginning, He's in now, and He will be forever. In other words, Jesus is the one who gives us life. And we, the church of Jesus Christ, need to stand up louder and be prouder and double down on the fact that Jesus is the only way. When John wrote in John chapter 14, quoting Jesus again after Thomas said, wait a minute, we don't know where you're going, and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus declared that He was the only way to the Father, the church of Jesus Christ today does not have the luxury of watering down that message. We do not have the luxury of setting that aside so that we can be inclusive and we can be kind and we can go out there and hug everybody and sing Kumbaya together. God has sent us here to say Jesus is the way, and if you don't believe in Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell. But good news, by believing in Jesus, eternity in heaven. And that's what we must be passionate about. John understood that the church was under attack. 
He understood that there was nothing that those false teachers could provide or add that would bring value to the people within that church, except for when they stood up and said, Jesus is the way. Now, we've been in 1 John chapter 1, but if we roll forward a few chapters to the last chapter in 1 John, and we come to 1 John chapter 5, and we come to the last few verses in that passage, John ends this letter, this epistle, this statement, this declaration, this proclamation with the statement that gives, God gives to us today is that Jesus came to bring us home. We all often ask ourselves the question like, why am I here? What's my point? What's my purpose here? Your purpose is this, is to pass through and bring as many people with us to the Father. First John chapter 5, let me read this quickly. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God, and He is eternal life. In other words, we can have fellowship with a holy God, not because we're good, not because we're kind, not because we're nice, not because we serve, not because we're sitting in a church, not because we're serving in the nursery, not because we're singing in the choir, not because we go on mission trips. We can have fellowship with a holy God, God our Father, because we have fellowship with His Son, Jesus, who came to bring us home. By believing that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again three days later, and declaring with our mouths, declaring with our hearts, I believe. Now look in the last part of this statement. Verse 22, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. John's last words in this letter. Guys, the attack is on. The world is after you. The world wants to shut you down. The world wants to dismiss Jesus, send Jesus out to the, uh, to the annals of history. No big deal. Don't worry about Him anymore. But what John writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this. Don't let anything replace the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus, and here's what we do. We understand that sometimes the church is under attack by those outside, and sometimes we understand the church is is being attacked by those on the inside, as we've talked about today. But as this last statement, this last verse very clearly underscores, is that sometimes the church is under attack by us because we have allowed things of this world to creep in and to keep us from being all that God intended for us to be. And John says, dear children, friends, don't let that happen. Don't let anything replace God in your life. Guys, listen, the attack is still on, and it's going to get worse, make no mistake. We don't know what tomorrow looks like. We don't know what the future looks like. We don't know what 10 years from now, we don't know what it looks like. But I can guarantee you it won't get better for the church. The world is not going to become more accepting of the church unless the church becomes more accepting of the world. The message of the gospel is offensive because it does very clearly say that Jesus is the only way. And as long as we preach that message, I'm telling you, the attacks are going to keep coming. And they are going to keep coming from outside and they're going to keep coming from inside. 
And what I will tell you today is you better make sure. You better make sure. You better make sure that you are standing firmly on the truth that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and he's the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only life, and no one, not you, not me, no one will get to the Father except through him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel that encourages us, that gives us life, that gives us hope. God, I pray right now for every person gathered here, every person watching, every person listening, Lord, give us an understanding that it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we have our life that we have our hope, that we have our eternity. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Today in this room, I know there's some people seated here probably that have never come to the place in your life where you have truly said with your lips and with your heart, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. I believe he's the only one that can save me. I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus is the only one that can save me. There are probably people in this room today, as there were in the first service, who have never made that declaration. Now, I didn't ask you if you've been part of a church. You might have been in this church from the day you were born. You might be here until you're 100 years old. And you could spend 100 years in this church serving, attending, singing, reading, taking care of babies, working in the parking lots, singing in the choir. You could spend a hundred years in this church and do all of those things and still spend eternity in hell unless you say with your lips and with your heart, I believe. And I think today there might be someone in this room that has never made that statement. And so right now with no one looking around, with every head bowed, I'm just going to ask a question. I did this in the first service, and I just feel compelled to do it in this one because I believe there's one person, maybe more, here today that needs to make the declaration to say, I believe. So if you're here today with no one looking around, and you can honestly say, I don't remember a time that I made the statement that I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, where I've asked him to forgive me and to save me through his son Jesus. If you can't say with certainty that you've done that, wherever you are in this room, no one looking around, would you just slip your hand up right now saying, I've never really done that. I'm not sure. Would you just slip your hand up wherever you are in this room? Just slip it up right now. Anyone at all. I see one in the back. Anywhere else. In the balcony. Just slip your hand up wherever you might be. And for those of you who just slipped your hand up, I want to lead a prayer right now. And I want you to silently pray this prayer with me right now asking God to do what he desires to do. So just pray this with me silently right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe that Jesus is the only one that can save me. So I ask you right now, Father, forgive me of my sins. Save me through your son, Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he is your son. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer in a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing through one time, one time this song. And as we do, if you prayed that prayer, I'm just gonna ask you, invite you to make your way down to this altar and come and talk with one of our team members. Maybe you wanna come as a follower of Christ, but you've let, 
you've let your life kind of get away. You've kind of let the gospel get watered down. Maybe you need to come and kneel here and say, God, I'm sorry. 1 John 1, 9, a couple of verses later, tells us if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And so maybe you want to come and kneel here. Maybe you want to come and join our church, come for baptism, come and pray for a friend. As we stand right now, sing through just one time, our altar is open, our team is here. We'd love to pray with you. Let's sing this together right now. I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.